listening to Into the Valley, a Phoenix Suns podcast, a part of the Brightside Podcast Network. Welcome, everybody, into the Valley. I am Ethan Shutt, joined by Ryan and Philip. And gentlemen, the series is over. There's a lot of playoffs to talk about, but the series is over. We can take one big collective sigh of relief as the Suns win 115-109 in New Orleans and get past the pesky little Pelicans. You are listening to Into the Valley, like I said, a part of the Brightside Podcast Network. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Uh, we appreciate having you here. But guys, let's just let's get into it. How are we feeling coming off of a nail-biter, stressful, I hated it the whole time type of a game? Philip, I'll go to you. I assume your heart rate is at a much more moderate level than mine is. What are you thinking about after this nutty game six? Yeah, I'm at my usual like low 50s, high 40s resting we, heart rate right we now. We get it. So, You're a runner, okay? So we're all, we're all good. I want to I want to share with the listeners my confidence in the Phoenix Suns. I texted Orion and Ethan, and they can vouch for this in our little group chat. Three points at halftime. Number one, that ten points isn't that much in NBA basketball. Number two, CP3 and Booker were going to play more in the second half. We at least saw more CP3 in the second half. And then my prediction was Suns by seven, which, as Ryan pointed out in our thread, I got very, very close. <laughs> Dude, so hey, just watching so Jay Crowder, if Jay Crowder doesn't split his free throws at True. the end, you have it. True. So just watching the way the first half played out, I was very comfortable with the progression of the game and even thought, and I have a note in, in my game notes that said the Pelicans are going to have to make a lot of threes for them to win this game. And that's just not who they are as a team. So I was fairly comfortable and very excited as the game went on, as it was kind of trending in the direction I thought it would go. But uh, you diehards uh, across the screen from me. I was going to say, feeling? comfortable and excited were not two words that I would describe. <laughs> uh, Ryan, how are you feeling? Also, congrats on your new jersey. For those on YouTube, that is a brand new jersey Ryan is rocking. And it is now 1-0. and oh. Uh, the Lydia tracker, baby, baby Lydia, is now three and one, I believe. So uh, thank you, Lydia, for all the good juju there. Ryan, how you feeling, bud? Uh, exhausted. Tonight's game was just Same. taxing. Um, <clears throat> I, I, and I'm not going to lie. When the Pelicans stretched it out to a 12-point lead, and I, and I think it was in the second quarter, if I remember right, when they put it up to the 12-point lead, I, I was in a bad place emotionally. I, I was starting to see the omens. I was seeing the writings on the wall and thought we might be in for a long night. Uh, fortunately, and we'll get to, to some of this later, I'm sure, uh, the Pelicans then proceeded to start getting into some serious foul trouble, and it kind of aided us. And we got some good CP3 list minutes at the end of the second. But, boy, I was not in a good shape for most of that game until probably the last minute and 12 seconds of the of the fourth. Yeah, that was a... That was that was a rough one. That was a a tough game for most all of it. Given it started well, and then they immediately got back in it. And then yes, Ryan, as their lead grew, uh, my butthole tightened very hard. As I sat on my couch, and I felt uncomfortable, and my body got very tight, and uh, I felt that way for the next however many minutes the game was. Sorry for the listeners there for that beautiful mental image, but I felt awful. And I think I texted you guys a handful of times. 
this sucks. I hate this. I don't like it. And I, and I didn't. And part of it too was I was just convinced that whatever magical spell some wizard cast on Chris Paul was going to fade at some point. Uh, but man, what a game from him. What a game from so many. Uh, and the Suns now with that win advance to play either the Jazz or the Mavs in round two. That could possibly be decided tonight. Uh, if not tonight, we'll have a game seven soon and we'll see how that goes. But guys, I want to hit a quick a quick pause button. We're about five minutes in. I know that people here that are listening or watching are here to listen to us talk about the Suns, about what we saw tonight. But I got to give us some love. We've been talking for a long time. Tonight is our 50th episode, baby. Guys, I expected the 50th episode to be one that we could like plan out. Maybe we'd have a guest or two. Uh, do something exciting for the listeners, do something different. But instead, we get a series-clinching win. We get Devin Booker's uh, resurrected hamstring. Uh, a lot of good things are happening for us tonight, but I did just want to say congrats congrats to you guys for, for sticking with me as we have ridden it out for 50 episodes. I don't know when the next number is that we get to celebrate. 51. A- oh, that's not as much as I thought. Philip, do you think is a hundred the next big mark? No, it's when the Suns win the championship. Well, hey. whenever Ooh. that is, I appreciate. I Eight appreciate that so now. much, <laughs> especially especially after Ryan's last episode appearance, where he casually dropped the Suns getting eliminated in the first round. Which just want to make sure no one forgot Reverse about that. Reverse psychology, baby. I don't think the Pelicans were listening to our podcast, but I appreciate your way out of it. I was but in anyway, their heads. <laughs> as we said, Suns win one fifteen one oh nine, and the story of the night. I think for most people is going to immediately jump to Chris Paul. And I think that is due. And I, we will absolutely give Chris all the love, but although he was incredibly efficient to an otherworldly level, let's go ahead and start by talking about the sun's offense tonight. The sun's offense as a whole looked like the sun's offense that we expected to see from the regular season Uh, on the night, the sun shot 60% from the field. 40% 40% from three. And here's my, my favorite set that may go overlooked 94.4% from the free throw line. And that would have been a hundred. If Jay makes both of his free throws to end the game, we could have had an 18 for 18 free throw night. Uh, Philip talked about the free throws plus threes. I don't know if he's going to talk about that a little more. I'll give him a little time to do his math, but the Suns the Suns did great across the board. You had, Crazy efficient lines from a lot of players. Chris, 14 of 14, 8 and 10 of 12, Bridges, 7 of 12, Cam Johnson, 4 of 7. The dudes, the dudes were on it tonight. And there were moments where it kind of looked like they were trudging through. And a big part of that was when the Pelicans got their lead. But it looked like they figured it out. Philip, when you look at the Suns and what they were able to do tonight in such a high stakes game, pressure on another level. What stood out to you that kind of just allowed the offense to run like they did and perform the way we'd expect them to? We talked a couple episodes ago about Steve Kerr's admonition to his team. I think it was Sunday afternoon when they were playing. That's essentially death by a thousand cuts. 
We're not going for knockout blows. We're going for execution, execution, execution. And we are going to wear this team down. We're going to get to this a little later. Some of the things you see when you're executing at a high level is you see foul trouble and you see really good timely looks from the exact spot on the floor that you want to get a good look. So let me give two examples of why the Suns are so good at this. In the third quarter, in the third quarter, CJ picked up his fourth foul, but he needed to stay in the game. This, the Pelicans needed B.I. and CJ on the court for their offensive continuity. The Suns ran a play with Cam Johnson because Cam was being guarded by CJ that they normally run with Mikhail. That little drag screen across mm-hmm. the free throw line into the pass and then the quick drive to the basket. They ran that for Cam Johnson like right after CJ picked up his fourth and it was an easy bucket in a timely moment that the Suns just kind of settled in and they kept the comeback going little by little. So that is an example of the Suns being smart, being efficient, getting a shot where they know they can get a good look. And then down the stretch, the Suns were, no surprise, the Suns were killing the Pelicans off the pick and roll. They wind up switching some. Alvarado and CJ McCollum are the two who are out on Chris Paul and DA. So that's going to be a rim run for DA against a really short defender or just a short defender in CJ McCollum. So what happens is the Pelicans shade off the shooters towards the lane to get ready for that rim run. CP3 notices that, doesn't even take the screen, whips the pass to Booker on the left wing, kind of shaded towards the left corner, and he buried the three. That's just taking what's right in front of you, finding the exact right place, and again, in that instance, in an incredibly timely moment. That's the offense that we're looking for for the Suns. That's the kind of execution that we've grown accustomed to, and we are especially accustomed to that execution in crunch time. And do you think part of that, because I feel this way, I think part of that opened up because of Booker's presence on the court. Mm-hmm. I think having Booker back, uh, I didn't know what to expect. Uh, he ended up five of 12 from the field, one of six from three, but that three could not have come at a better time. But just just his ability on both ends to prevent mismatches on defense and allow them to be created on offense, I just thought it made it look everyone just looked more comfortable. Everyone looked like they knew what they were supposed to be doing because they were doing things the Suttons way and the way they've been doing it all season. Uh, Ryan, when you're looking at the offense, obviously Chris will continue to pop in our minds. Uh, but what what did you find? I guess just so impressive about the way they were able to perform tonight for, for me it was it was da's early play again da got off to a really hot start early and i think that allowed everybody in it in the kind of the same way that booker carries a lot of gravity when you've got da scoring in multiple ways um this, you know getting the little hook shot or, or posting up Jonas. Uh, it just allows for the other players to play a little more freely so i was really impressed by da's hot start and really his strong series um but more than anything, I was I think I was also more impressed by by really it was the starters who carried us, right? I mean, other than Jay Crowder, you had Cam Johnson had a really good night. Jay had a, in my opinion, kind of a, a an off or so so night. But really it was it was four of the five starters who carried the bulk of the load. And boy, they carried us from start to finish. Getting 30 minutes out of Booker, I thought was also impressive. I was 
Uh, I, I was hoping we might see that kind of minutes out of him, but you know, you didn't, I didn't really know how severe the injury would be. Um, but the fact that we got big minutes really from all of our starters to me was the, the big thing. They carried us. Um, you know, we've bragged all, all season how deep this team is, but tonight it really was, you know, we had, we had the best five players on the floor and, and for four quarters, they got us there. I actually didn't want to see Booker's minutes those high. I was hoping the game would be uh, open and shut to an extent where he could ease back into it. But I thought even just the way that Monty pivoted uh, his approach with Booker, because at the end of the second quarter, I think it was Booker plus two others that were waiting to check in for like two and a half minutes, weren't able to get back in. I thought third quarter would go back to how we started. And instead, Monty doesn't ride with Booker from the rip, cams in, and Booker seems to have a lot of time to rest before kind of going into closing time. So it, I, I couldn't have asked for a whole lot more. And Crowder, although he didn't, I mean, tough series just in terms of the amount of attention he's been given, the amount of crap he's been given. Big defensive play when it mattered. I think defensively he played really well just against uh, B.I. tonight as well. They really held them in check better than they had in the past as well. Uh, but yeah, if you're you're looking at the starting group, a lot of minutes, and that's something that jumped out to me as well. Philip, were you surprised to see so few minutes from the backup fives? Because we had Javale with three, Bismack with five, and that was it. So we saw Da out there for forty minutes, and Monty really didn't mess with the backup fives, the backup bigs at all, other than. Bismack and JaVale, I'm pretty sure playing out there together. So even more than just not switching, the minutes they got, they were out there together. Do you think this was a, I'm not messing around tonight, we're, we're riding the guys that got us here type of approach? Yeah, and he he's in there with the trainers and with the guys, and he knows how they're feeling. I mean, Mikhail went for 44, again, coming off basically a 47-minute a 47 minute performance the other night. So he knows how their legs are feeling and how fresh they are. And you also know you get a win tonight, you fly back home and you have off until Sunday, maybe no Monday. No, right? It's, it's, mon- if it's Monday, Monday if it ends tonight, it's Tuesday. If it goes. So I, yeah, I'm kind of okay. with you, Philip. I thought the philosophy was ride them. And then hopefully you get, you know, mm-hmm. several days of rest till Tuesday, theoretically. And, and something we've touched on this podcast quite a bit. DeAndre Ayton's mid-range jump shot. Mm. It's massive. It's massive. It's what the Pelicans want the Suns to shoot, but it was automatic, this series. It was automatic. And it's it's so big because if his defender drops and the guards are recovering slow, CP3 can skip it back. If they blitz CP3, DA is big enough to get his hands up and he has good enough touch that he can jump for a pass, come back down, gather himself, and then take a good-looking yeah. jump shot as well. He's scoring from the mid-range in all these different ways. That is a huge, huge part of the Suns' efficiency. Yeah, I was continued to be impressed by DA. I mean, Chris, Chris had a couple games and a couple moments that would make it hard to not give him series MVP. But if you're looking at Mr. Consistent, DeAndre Ayton held the fort down many, many times when they desperately needed it. And I honestly thought defensively, he wasn't playing at his best. Hopefully that's not too critical. I I wasn't incredibly impressed by his defense this series. I think there's 
a level up for that to go as well. And part of that might've just been what he was dealing with down there. But offensively, I think it's one of the best runs of games I've ever seen from DA. So two things, two things about DA. Number one, defensively, on ball, on JV, I thought he was still really good. I thought he was everything you want him to be on ball. Help side, though, it that's what frustrated it, me. It bugs me to no end when DA jumps when he's contesting on a guy like Brandon Ingram and he turns his body. Like you are taking a unhealthily large man in your chest over and over and over again in JV. But then when B.I. is driving at you, you're twisting and turning and not staying square as you're going up to challenge. That's where I think D.A. can improve a bit. But the second thing about D.A., offensively, his series stats, 20 and a half points, 9.8 rebounds on 70, 70% from the field. Nuts. See, I thought on the defensive end when you started talking help side, I thought you were talking about just helping and showing a little bit more because you could see that a few times where he was so scared to kind of separate from Valanchunas when someone was driving on that opposite side. And you saw Crowder get frustrated a couple times. You saw Mikhail get frustrated. It seemed like his mentality was, I am staying with this guy. And I just felt like there were a couple easy buckets that he either could have contested or the more common result was he could have prevented a foul that a Crowder or a Cam Johnson was committing when they were having to try to overextend because of the lack of help. So again, I'm not trying to be too critical yeah. at DA. I think the kid played and I mean, he was a grown man. Like he was in remarkable this series, but when I'm looking at who is coming next in the future series, that's where I'm starting to think like, I wonder, I wonder what's going to have to get tweaked or change on the defensive end. Uh, but no, I think, as a whole, the guys were great. I do want to take a quick pause before we jump back to the Suns, kind of more on an individual basis. I want to talk about the foul trouble that we saw on the other side of the court. Uh, fouls had been a talking point for a lot of this series. Free throw discrepancy, foul numbers either side. Monty got fined. That doesn't happen very often. But tonight, the foul trouble was on the Pelicans, and I thought it was a a huge part of this game in a couple situations, uh, just in terms of what they finished with here. Uh, let's see. Jones finished with five. McCollum finished with five. Valanciunas ended with three, which he picked up pretty early. Uh, and then no one really had to deal with it too much. Alvarado had four, but let's be real. He would, he could be in there with five and it wouldn't change a thing. Like, what do you think was a bigger deal? Do you think it was Valanchunas picking up his three early, or do you think it was when McCollum picked up that fifth? For for me, it was McCollum's fifth, because I think Valanchunas picked up that third in the second, and Nance came in and was working hard. There wasn't a huge drop-off after Valanchunas got that third, I thought, in the second. Um, I thought the huge thing was when, in that kind of scuffle where Valanchunas set the screen on Jay and McCollum came across and they called the fifth on McCollum instead of the fourth on Valanchunas. That to me was a big shift for the way the Pelicans played. Um, to, to me, that foul was significantly more important to kind of the overall theme of what the Pelicans were able to do moving forward um, than, than anything. So I would say it's the five on McCollum. Philip, what about you? 
I agree for two reasons. One, because Jose Alvarado is a problem for the Pelicans on the offensive end. Mm-hmm. If you go back and watch the way the Suns are going under screens when he has the ball, the way his defender is shading way off of him, they're not respecting, they weren't respecting his three-point attempts. And then conversely, on the defensive end, when CJ gets in foul trouble, you think a guy like Devontae Graham's going to have to come in, which is a huge problem defensively for the Pelicans. Because when Devontae Graham comes in, the Suns felt comfortable several times just dumping it into McHale or running a set that McHale was going to get good post position on Devontae Graham, dump it in and let him go to work. And there were a couple times this series, several times even, where Devontae Graham's just too small. And then when the Suns start running sets like snap or elbow or some of the other ones where their guards are going to have to start switching up, you can't have Devontae Graham guarding CP3 and you especially can't have Devontae Graham guarding a CP3 DA pick and roll because that's that's easy money for the Suns. So it's a combination of those two things, the way it impacts the offensive end and the defensive end for the Pels. Yeah, and Ryan, your eye test was completely correct, and that's actually why I brought up the question. One of the numbers that I thought was most interesting as I was looking at the stats after was Larry Nance being a plus 10 in 21 minutes. The minutes with Larry Nance on the floor was their run. Like that was their hot streak. And JV finished with a minus 16 in his 27 minutes. So it was interesting to me. It was like the foul trouble kind of unlocked something different for them when they started on their role. Uh, but I think you're both right. When when McCollum went out there, obviously defensively, uh, you know, it is what it is on their end. But offensively, it's not just that you're missing McCollum. It's that you're having to rely on the guys that you're putting out there. Uh, one interesting stat that I also saw um, I wonder if you all noticed or have, would have any thoughts. It's probably one I'm going to have to watch for on the rewatch, which I will give myself at least 24 hours to do uh, just to enjoy this one. Uh, but Herb Jones, pour one out for Herb. What a name. I think he's going to go down as one of our favorite names of the year. Herb was plus two in 40 minutes. And what I take from that is the Suns outscored the Pelicans by eight in the eight minutes he was not on the court. So I'm curious to see what those rotations were. I'm curious to see what impact he was having, because if if you're talking like that's one stretch, like that's one stretch of the game with him not on there in terms of those minutes to have that impact, because he was the only one in the positives other than Larry Nance and Larry Nance popped off the screen eye test wise because it was that very obvious run. So I'm curious, curious to see maybe what I missed if maybe Herb was doing more than I realized, or maybe it was just coincidence, but I'm looking forward to looking into that. Either of you guys noticed that in terms of Herb Jones's impact on the game, obviously defensively, he's fantastic, but that's not something I would have expected to see after this game when all the other starters were in the minus seven, minus eight, which kind of lines up with the final. I would say all series. I thought he had a really nice series, giving him credit where credit's due, but there wasn't anything tonight specifically where I thought, he was, you know, exceptionally better or enough to notice that he would be one of the few with a, a positive plus minus for them. Um, but I, I mean, I think he, you know, had a really nice series, all things considered. His his three pointer that he made tonight is always going to stand out when Herb Jones makes a three. That's a big deal for the Pelicans. But I think one of the reasons he's not as flashy tonight is because the ball was in CP3's hands so frequently, and the Pelicans seem to live and die with. Alvarado 
on CP3 for the vast majority of the time tonight. So even if even if we go back and rewatch and we're like, wow, Herb Jones had a masterclass off ball, it it doesn't have the weight because CP3 CP3's time of possession, this this game is going to be absurd. Yeah. No, it's it's crazy. And one other one other of their young guys who I thought had a good game and, and might be one to overlook. Trey Murphy hit four threes tonight, and they all came at pretty big moments to keep it within reach when it looked like the tide could turn. He finished with 12. He only shot three uh threes the entire game. He was four of seven from the field, four of seven from three. We'll touch on the Pels a little bit in a little bit as we kind of wrap up. Uh but let's just do some quick hitters here. Give credit where credit's due. Chris Paul. Chris Paul is insane. Finished 36 minutes, 14 of 14 from the field, one of one from three, four of four from the free throw. The man shot the ball 18 times and did not miss, if you're including free throws. On top of that, he also had five rebounds, which is fantastic, eight assists, and a steal, plus 17, 33 points. Is this the best game you have ever seen Chris Paul play? What was the, how many did he have against the Nuggets last year? Oh, didn't he go? It's okay. Sorry. That's a, that's putting everybody on the spot. It's one of the best games all I've ever seen him play. He did go scorched earth in the closeout, didn't he? I know he had a crazy run. Did he drop a 40 piece? I think he did. I was thinking 41. I feel like he dropped a 40 piece that game in the scorched earth game. So his his career high. I, hey, we're recording this right after. If people have to listen to us do our research, that is a okay. His career high is forty three. So he's done it twice. The last time being interesting. I, I think it was oh, the forty my. bomb. Oh, that was yeah. the last time. His. Oh, there it is. NBA playoff career high against the Clippers. June of 2021. So it was against the Clippers there you go. last year. He had yeah. 41. I would love to see the numbers for that game. Can I pull those up? Oh, yes, I can. This was this was Chris. Oh, oh goodness gracious. Uh, I'm gonna go What's ahead and answer my I'm gonna go ahead and answer my own question. The efficiency tonight is otherworldly. Let's not overlook that. But this was Chris Paul on June 30th of 2021. 35 minutes. 16 of 24, 7 of 8 from 3. That's what it was. 41 points, 8 assists, 4 rebounds, 3 steals, and 0 turnovers. I think that's his best game. But I think think from a statistical standpoint, though, Chris Paul did do something that's not been done before, going 14 of 14. So statistically speaking, is it? Sorry, I still think that. That was in L.A. But contextually, as well as all the other stats, uh, I'm going to give it to the the Clippers. The Clippers game. What I've learned is Chris plays really well at his old stadiums. Whenever all of his old friends and family decide to boo him, that's when he decides to tell him to eat it, and then gives Billy Crystal a hug on the way out and says, "Thank you so much for your support." Was that the same game where the oh. GIF came from, where he's looking at the camera and he goes, "Ask about me, ask about me, dude." Chris Paul. Ryan Ryan has a very funny ongoing joke. I don't know if it's actually <laughs> funny, but I seem to like it. Sometimes he'll just text the text the two of us, and he's like, "Isn't it crazy that Chris Paul's on the Suns?" 
And it is, man. But what's crazier is that he's doing it at 36. Like he turns 37 in a couple weeks, I think they said. Like that's incredible. Philip, in terms of your your viewpoint here, because I think my pessimistic being as a person and a Suns fan, I think, sometimes allows me to see things very jaded. When you watch Jay Crowder shoot the ball, every single time you assume it's not going in. We have discussed that. It's on record. Was there a time tonight where you thought Chris Paul's shot was not going to go in? Or were you just like, well, guess it's going to keep happening. When they were bouncing five times on the rim before <laughs> dropping in? Yes, I, I, did, not, I did not think all those were going in. So I, I think it, it, here's a, a clear way to describe how poorly I was handling my emotions. I think when he hit number 11, I watched the game props to my sweet wife who sat with me the whole time on her phone, but I still appreciate it because I love her. And I, I said this out loud. I go, he hasn't missed a shot. And that was my tone. And she goes, based on your tone, I'm guessing it's someone on the Pelicans. And I was like, that's how just, it didn't sound happy. It didn't sound excited. It was just utter disbelief that this thing was happening in front of our eyes. And yeah, Philip, when he hit the one that bounced as many as Kawhi's did and then just trickled down, I was like, you can't, you can't make this up. This is insane. But yeah, Chris Paul, I love you so much. Thank you for being in Phoenix. Uh, not much to talk about here. Booker's return. Did want to at least bring it up. More minutes than I would have liked. They said it was going to be a minutes restriction, though there was never a concrete number given. Uh, Philip, I'll just I'll set you up here. Quick thoughts on Booker's return. Feeling good, feeling concerned. Anything after this game? He was fine. Wait, he wasn't great, Booker. He wasn't bad, Devin. He had a huge shot, like we've already covered at the end of the game. It felt like he pressed a little bit at times. I'm hoping that's just first game back he's trying to start feeling it he's trying to get in a rhythm he's trying to feel the energy of the game i c plus b right around there for his return ryan anything on your end that's i mean that's exactly how i thought i would say he didn't feel set back from like a physical standpoint there wasn't ever a time where i was like oh he looks hurt or he looks a step slow he just looked rusty uh, so there wasn't anything that that screamed any kind of red flagger of, of concern to me, uh, which I'm thankful for because I didn't know what to expect. Because, yeah. I, again, I'm not a doctor, so I will never try to assume oh. if somebody's coming back too soon or too quick. Hey, I don't like making that, those. Take those. Take that note down, uh, viewers uh, and listeners. Ryan Shutt. Not a doctor. Not a doctor. He does but, have a master's degree, which is more than either of us can say. <laughs> only for a couple more days. Philip gets his soon. But um, – I, you know, I, I did question when they announced that he played tonight. My first instinct was like, oh, like already. I hope this isn't a rush, but I, I thought he was fine. I think Philip, I think that's the most he was fine. Yeah, uh, he did three things that I think are a part of any staple Devin Booker performance. He took advantage and destroyed any guy smaller than him, which was Alvarado. He forced threes that he should not take and missed them classic booker and he made a big shot even on nights even on nights where he's not always himself the man does have the clutch gene deep within inside of him we needed a three 
it was there. That's he a did Devin pull the, the the Chris Paul hezzy stutter step at half court to draw the foul on the guy running up behind you too. He did pull one of those off. Dude, Chris's rip through was it was he was on one tonight. Also, Jose Alvarado. Sorry, we'll we'll get to there. But when he comes up to the camera and shows his bloody lip, I was like, "Brother, you are trying too hard on this one." But it was definitely a foul, dude. It felt like somebody imitating uh, my buddy Sean and I. For those who are on the podcast, is a good friend of of Ethan and mine. We were like, "This feels like a ripoff Patrick Beverly impersonation." Like this feels like, like what is he doing? I mean, that's the that's the career trajectory I think he has to hope for, right? Like, if he can stick around in the league and be a, a Patrick Beverly, P-Bev keeps getting paid, jumping on scorer's table. He's doing it all. Uh, well, Chris doing Paul Booker, all. I mean, he's he's doing that's, a lot. That's I don't, Patrick I, Beverly. I don't, he's doing a lot of stuff. Uh, talking, yelling, crying. I don't know, man. He's something else. Uh Open it up to the floor here. We've talked about book. We've talked about CP within the supporting cast, within the others, anyone stand out to you guys the most tonight on the Suns? I know we've made some Aiton talk. Uh, Mikhail's been brought up already. Uh, Ryan, for you, other than book and Chris, who kind of was your standout for the evening? You just mentioned him. It's it's Mikhail. I look at Brandon Ingram shooting eight of 19, McCollum going seven of 16. A lot of that's due to Mikhail. Uh, I, I think earlier you talked about, you know, Chris Paul having an argument for most valuable player this this round and D.A. maybe having an argument. But I think McHale defensively has just as strong an argument for what he did the last essentially three games to to really kind of change the, the, the timbre of our defense and really lock down both those guys. Because to be fair, again, to get flowers where flowers are due, Brandon Ingram's first three game this series were just insanely good. The dude looked unstoppable for the first three games. He's real good. Philip, what about you? It's Mikhail. It's just a little bit of everything. The shot making, the on-ball defense, the strip and seal the game with the dunk. He is the best. I, we much, had like, a, much like Patrick Beverly doing it all. We, <laughs> had, a, we had a dear friend over tonight, and uh, my wife, our friend, and our daughter came back in. They were hanging out outside. And they were like, who's the guy with the with the bright shoes on the sun? I said, that's Mikhail, and we stand. <laughs> True. True. Uh, I got to go ahead. It is a Thursday night. I would be – it wouldn't be a 50th episode if I didn't. Cam Johnson Thursdays. It was Call little, yourself out. I will. I was a little hesitant at first. He did not – he didn't jump off the screen. I think it's not fair. I, I'm going to be honest with you. Do you know how sometimes people lose the spirit or the meaning of Christmas and they have to be brought back to an understanding? I think I lost the meaning of Cam Johnson Thursdays. I'm Tiny Tim, baby. And Philip, <laughs> Philip came back and was like, no, my boy, look at those numbers again. And you know what? I think he's right. I think I, the creator and sustainer of Cam Johnson Thursdays, I lost what made it so special. Monty I think the Knicks, the, the Knicks game, I was like, Cam Johnson's a murderer, baby. But you know what? Why did what was what was Cam Johnson Thursdays? It was never about the point total. It was about the efficiency. And Cam Johnson on the night, four of seven from the field, two of three from three, increasing his three-point average on Thursdays once again. Three of three from the free throw line, 13 points and a plus four. Cam Johnson Thursdays. Hate hate to say it, haters, still a thing. We're riding to another series. I Pause cannot. again. Pause. 
were those haters the same as Ryan's haters? No, no, no. I think mine are real. So many haters. I have listen. I have tweeted at media members directly. I'm gonna call them out. Kellen, Gerald. I have other Brandon. I have said ask Cam Johnson about what voodoo he does on Thursdays to make the ball go in the hoop more than on other days. And they have not listened to me. They have silenced my voice. The voice needs to be loud and proud. And people need to talk about Camp Johnson Thursdays because it's still a thing. Thank you. Hey, Ethan, you just send shots at the puppet masters, not the puppets. Oh, easy, all, Kyrie. All easy, puppets Kyrie. do is run around society trying to gain popularity and state opinions. <laughs> when what did, a life. When your, did name, Ethan, your name, Ethan, is worth billions to these media corporations, your brothers and sisters who deal with this know exactly what you mean. Dude, when did Kyrie tweet that tonight? You sent it mid-game, I think, and I saw it and chuckled and then continued on with my heavy breathing and my sadness. I was and- hate-scrolling, so that was that was like 12 <laughs> hours ago. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, goodness. Anyway, uh, Cam Johnson, love you so much. Yeah, Mikhail, though, good. I'm glad that Mikhail had his, his game, like the Mikhail game. I love that for him. Glad he's under contract. Cam Johnson, we'll see. Well, boys, to wrap up, we got to give credit to where credit is due. New Orleans Pelicans absolutely terrified the poop out of me. They made this series far more than I anticipated. And yes, Devin Booker's injury played a part. But even with Booker, the Pelicans showed that they can hang tough with anyone. They have a lot of heart got a lot of fight, and they are coached by, obviously, an incredible guy who I selfishly would love to be back in the Suns. We'll go around the table here. Let's let's tip some haps, if you will. Uh, give them the flowers, all that good stuff. Philip, what would you like to say about the New Orleans Pelicans as we bid them adieu into round two? They played three rookies significant minutes in a high-intensity playoff game against one of the most efficient clutch time teams of all time and won multiple games. That's astounding. Herb Jones, Jose Alvarado, Trey Murphy. That is fantastic. And what it shows is that they are an incredibly well-coached team. You ready for a blazing hot take? Go for it, daddy. Should Zion Williams come back, the Pelicans that we just saw in this series might be peak Pelicans. Zion on that team, I feel like it's a guaranteed playoff spot. The question is, what number in the West? We talked about the West not being what it used to be. I'm I'm curious to see what that is. Ryan, what do you want to say to the, the fine folks in New Orleans, except for certain people that hate Jay Crowder? My, my two things are, A, Brandon Ingram is that guy, and the Lakers should have been True. sad that entire series. And to Phillip's point, I, I am not a betting man, but there would be a deep temptation with Zion back if he is peak Zion again and back and healthy that they could be a sleeper pick out of the West to make a deep run next season. I that They could be a dangerous team if he is back to where he could be. Zion Williamson needs to just uh, drop a little bit of LBs. And if he can run up and down the floor with some of those young dudes, that'd be pretty fun to watch. Let the the record reflect that Ryan and I are putting out 
pretty much exact opposite takes. I think Zion coming back is not good for the team as currently constructed. I don't think he's good for their ball movement and their side-to-side lateral ball movement. He's a dynamic player. He's incredible. I don't think he's good for BI. I don't think he's good. So for you're Zion. saying you're saying what we this, saw tonight was peak, even with Zion coming back. Oh, oh, okay. I misunderstood. I think it's that the opposite, a, dude. I think I think fun take. If he comes back on like the sixty plus percent true shooting percentage and everything that we were seeing before, where he's averaging like twenty whatever a that game, was, like that wasn't a pre CJ McCollum world though. But that's he true. Did that he did that running point. You don't right. want Zion Williamson running point when CJ McCollum is You want there. Jose Alvarado running point with CJ McCollum. I said McCollum. I'm not a betting man. I'm just saying there's a chance. Nah. I think I think what we need to see for the Pelican success next year is just 48 minutes of Jose Alvarado. <laughs> Who, anyone anyone disagree? Think of all the eight second calls, guys. They would set Ethan. records. Ethan. Sorry. I'm supposed to be showing them love now, aren't uh, yes. I? Yes. Some love for New Orleans. Also, Fine. Go. Love you love green. No, them I will. two put-ups now, Ethan. Go. Okay, I would say number one, absolute. I don't know who runs the team. Let's be real. I don't know their GM. Fantastic trade in getting CJ McCollum. It's Griff. Is it's it Griff? Griff. Mm-hmm. Ugh, Griff. Go back to Cleveland. Anyway, um, great trade getting CJ McCollum. CJ McCollum had been imprisoned in Portland for too long, and it is fun that we got to see him with a fun cast around him, I think not only has he done well for himself, he has elevated Brandon Ingram to the place where we watched him this series. And I think that will continue. Uh, and then Willie green, Willie green is like Monty 2.0. It crushed me. Like the amount of hatred that I had mainly for the fans, let's be real in that arena. It all washed away when I saw Willie green start getting teary-eyed and start crying as he's hugging all the Suns players who obviously care so much about him when he is hugging Monty and they're going back and forth. And then he goes and hugs Chris. And then Chris is emotional during his post game after talking about Willie. Like you can just tell whatever Willie did in Phoenix, he did a lot of right things. And I think the result we saw on the court from the Pelicans also is due to Willie doing a lot of right things here. Um, I know the CJ trade was kind of what allowed them to move into another level, but I th- they started what one of one in twelve to start the year, something like that, right? I mean, that is that's tough. Like a rookie head coach having that type of a hill to climb off the off the bat, like that's just that's a lot. So props to him. I love seeing guy, and again, we don't know the guy, but he seems to be a good guy who's trying to do things the right way. Uh, and it's great seeing some results there. So there's my love for New Orleans. I also love Larry Nance. I will always love Larry Nance. Uh, I will enjoy hearing him in free agent and trade talks going to the Suns every year until he <laughs> retires because uh, that's just hilarious to me. Always, always, always. But there we go. There's my love. We did it. And then finally, we've got the Suns advancing to play the Jazz and the Mavs. So guys... That game is currently happening for those listening in the future. You probably already know the result, but right now Jazz are up five late second quarter. So Luca is now healthy. The Mavs are the Mavs again. Ryan, I'm going to start with you. If you could pick who the Suns will play in round two, who are you picking between the Utah Jazz and the Dallas Mavericks? Give me the Dallas Mavericks after game seven. I want the Jazz to force game seven 
and us to get the Mavs starting next Tuesday? Philip, Jazz because Donovan Mitchell is dookie at defense. <laughs> I, I'm going to be real with you. I, this could be stupid. This could be recency bias. I feel more confident about either of those two teams than I do about playing the Pelicans again. And the reason why is because both of those teams to me are known commodities. We know who they are, what they do, how they operate, and neither of them are coached by Phoenix Suns' previous assistant head coach, basically. Like, I am, I am preferring the Jazz because if Rudy Gobert gets three more bee stings, he may have, may have to be out for a couple games. Like, I don't know what's going on with him and his beehive. Like, come on, man. <laughs> But man, how funny was that? Uh, if you haven't seen this on Twitter, those listening, he got stung by his bees in his own beehive. And his quote was, yeah, there was like six of us, but only I got stung. Oh, I don't care about the other people. You have a beehive? In the morning of a game, you're like, let's go get my honey? I Anyway, Rudy Gobert, questionable decisions off the court. Donovan Mitchell, questionable decisions on the court. I'm taking the Jazz and Mafia boss, Quinn Snyder every time uh that said if we do play the Mavs I'm still not scared I know Luca is Luca I think you can have a very similar approach that we discussed with BI where you say yo Luca might drop 40 on us but what what can we do about the rest so I'm I'm excited it's also a series in which you would get to watch Boban and everybody loves Boban you're gonna watch Boban sit on the bench yay Hey, That's fine. If, I love looking, Boban. If you want to see uh, Boban up and about and actually doing something, uh, check him out on State Farm commercials. He gets <laughs> off the bench, checks the cup holder or the coaster, and then goes back to sitting down. So pretty similar to what you see during a game. Uh, but anyway, Jazz are now up seven, Ryan. So game seven, you might have a chance on that one. Guys, happy 50th. It has been a blast doing this. I'm excited to see what the series two holds Uh, for those listening or watching. Thank you again Um, for the audio. You can always find us wherever Brightside podcast network stuff is Spotify, Apple, whatever. And then you can check us out on YouTube into the Valley of Phoenix Suns podcast and on Twitter at the Valley PHX. But as we said, these post-game ones are fun, but we will still be releasing an episode every Monday. Nothing changes there. So we will see who the Suns will be playing. Hopefully we'll have enough time uh, to get some prep done on who that may be and what to expect in game one. Uh, But gentlemen, happy 50th. Anything you'd like to say to our listeners before we call it wraps? Go Suns. Go Suns. I am Ethan, and for Philip and Ryan, this is Into the Valley of Phoenix Suns Podcast. We out.